Hey everyone, I'm Andrea Ferretti, and this is episode 147 of Yoga Land. Today is, big announcement, the last episode of season one. I'm doing seasons this year. It's a new thing. Why are you doing that? (laughs) Why are you doing that, you crazy person? Well, it will have been three years of doing the podcast, and... I'm at the point where I really need more time to keep finding stories, keep finding interesting stories and keep looking into people and how I want to present people's stories and how I want to talk about yoga. So I'm going to use that time to be very purposeful and plan things out. It's like uh, the idea of an academic sabbatical. Ha, for like four weeks. Well, you research. Yes. Okay. 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 That's my point. Got it. Okay. Yeah. 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 Or you just go to like uh, an inexpensive holiday vacation place and chill out for a while. That would be nice. That would be nice. But you have like 25 billion and a half downloads per week now. I know. So many. What people if that- are just going to be crying. Like if you're just walking down the street and you just see people, you know, you see a guy with his head up against the building just sobbing, it'll be because he misses yoga Probably. land. Yeah. People are going to start having to listen to second-rate yoga podcasts oh, with hack journalists. Oh, my God. There's no such thing. <laughs> okay? Are you saying they're third-rate? I'm joking. <laughs> He's joking. You know, it's so interesting. You listen to any mainstream podcast, and at the end, they do the credits, and it's like, so-and-so does our thing, and so-and-so does this, and so-and-so does that, and, so- and it's like, and Andrea. Can I tell you my least favorite thing? What? Not my least favorite thing, but one of my least favorite things. I've never shared this with you, but okay. it relates to the podcast. Okay. Which is the number of email solicitations I get to be on the show, from not from people that want to be on show, but from the PR people of people that want to be on the show. And that gets to me. And one of the reasons that gets to me is because I just kind of feel like those are things that it's our job to do. Like, I I can't imagine a situation, even for me, where I would have someone else try to get me into a situation that I'm not trying to do myself. It's an interesting thing. The whole PR thing is an interesting thing. It used to bug me at Yoga Journal, too, when – and it wasn't just yoga people. It it was – speakers or writers or and I would just think if you care enough about being in this publication why wouldn't you come up with an idea and reach out to the publication but I think there must just be this world of PR that you and I don't totally understand maybe I'm just stubborn too yeah you know what I mean maybe maybe for some reason I'm just judgmental around it because I just feel like I don't know why a third party would be telling me that so and so because really that third party is reaching out to like a hundred people. Right, I know. But right? So that's why you don't like it because it exactly. feels like getting a form letter. It is a form letter. As a creative person doing a creative job, I don't like receiving them either because yeah. it doesn't feel very caring and it doesn't feel – sometimes the PR person does a good job of – listening to the podcast and understanding what I'm looking for and doing a good synopsis of the person they're representing. But more often than not, it feels removed. Maybe their PR thinks we have PR. Oh, maybe. Maybe. Yes. I think often when I respond to people right away, they're like, wow, Andrea, I didn't think I was going to hear from you. I love when I get email that's like, Jason and staff. I'm like, oh, staff? I didn't email it. Well, aside from our butler. Oh, right. Our butler. <laughs> Jeeves. Jeeves. <laughs> okay. Let's what start talking about today? yoga. Let's yeah. start talking about yoga. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we just recently did an episode on the SI and we got a question from someone saying, so how do you feel about yin? I'm wondering after listening to this discussion and I get this question often from yeah, people I and I also get, I also get a lot of suggestions to do a podcast all about yin and okay. to feature a yin teacher, which I haven't done. Yes. So I wanted to kind of broach the topic and let everyone know where we stand. So I think a couple of things. I think the first thing we should do is kind of separate out processes within yin and and first start with something that I truly cannot speak to because I have no idea, which is the efficacy of yin yoga for the stimulation and the support of the Chinese meridians. 
Okay. Right? Like, that's something I just don't know. I don't know anything about the efficacy of that. Mm -hmm. And I haven't seen anything written about it. You know what I mean? This is really interesting because in all of the research and reading and experience that I have with understanding the mechanisms or the believed mechanisms of yin yoga, Chinese meridian theory is a significant element. But it's not the element that most people spend time talking about. Yeah, Sarah Powers does. Right? Yeah. So that's something I can't speak to. Mm -hmm. And I haven't come across a doctor of Chinese medicine who has spoken to what they see or believe as the efficacy of use. Okay. And I would love to know more, right? Mm -hmm. I would love to know, again, a doctor of Chinese medicine their belief in the efficacy of a yin practice compared to needles and compared to cupping and compared to acupressure. In order to have some understanding of efficacy within a system, we have to look at what are the other tools that that other system is using mm -hmm. and compare those different tools. Mm -hmm. So I would love to know more. and I really can't speak to that. Mm -hmm. That's fair, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I can say, I mean, that was a big focus of when I used to do yin with Sarah Powers. Sure. That's a big focus of hers. And it's a way that she feels that yin really keeps her energetically balanced. Yeah. And it felt great to me. It could have been the power of suggestion. But if you're drawing a parallel between the Chinese meridians and the Nadis, and you're drawing a parallel between prana and chi... It would make sense. Sure. Right. That, sure, it sure, would, sure, sure. that it would work. It's just a question of like, how intentional can you be? Like, how focused can you be versus needles? I'm sure needles right. are more accurate. I don't know. I'm sure they're more accurate. I mean, it, otherwise, they're. Otherwise, out. it would actually be used in it, Chinese medicine. Exactly. And it's not used in Chinese but, medicine. But that but, doesn't mean but it's, that it's left. That doesn't mean that it's not effective for some people or it's not important sure. or it's not a wonderful thing to have in your toolkit. Sure. So I think we should separate that component out. And then. I have some real concerns about elements of yin yoga uh, that I'll speak to clearly, but I want to talk first about some things that I think may be really helpful about that modality, which is, I think any time you are getting people to slow down, to be in one place, to pay attention to what's happening in their body and their mind and their heart then you are doing a really good thing. Mm -hmm. And I want to say that when I get to criticisms of yin yoga, I'll also say I have criticisms of myself. That's one of the things that's like, I am a critic. I am a skeptic, not because I want to be, but because I am. You know, that's just, that is what my character is. So I don't have criticisms for a modality, but not another modality, because everything has to be seen in a complete and big picture so that we can select the process that helps us be as well as we can be. So in terms of the slowing down, in terms of the becoming more focused on the sensations that are present and how the mind responds to them, I think that yin is uniquely set up for that. In some ways, it might even be better set up for it than the vinyasa yoga that I teach. Because even though I slow vinyasa yoga down and I'm really meticulous and I'm interested in technique, we're doing a lot of different poses, and it's pretty demanding yeah. over the course of 90 minutes. Yeah, yin, yin rooms have like a really beautiful feeling totally. to them. And it's just like meditation, it requires that you confront your discomfort with stillness in a yes. very direct way. And also that's this, the second thing that I think is such a positive, and one of the ways that obviously Sarah uses it is – it is both a good preparation for meditation, but also I think about it as these like mini meditations. Mm -hmm. And not only is it mini meditation, but one of the challenges about meditation for some people is that there is that there isn't as much obvious sensation and physicality to pay attention to. But if you're in a sustained stretch, stretching the posterior lateral part of the hip for five minutes or whatever it is then you have the opportunity to have like a five-minute mini meditation on both sides. And you have this incredibly clear, lucid, demanding sensation to work with. Mm -hmm. So in those ways, it's, it's a remarkable tool that may be helpful in the development of some people's self-awareness and depth in yoga, for mm -hmm. sure. For sure. What starts to concern me much more are 
the physical demands, both on the musculature, on the tendinous components, on the ligamentous components of the body, and just a basic understanding of contemporary physical science and sports science leads us in the direction of stepping back from several of the narratives within the yin practice and at least questioning Uh whether or not we really want to have multiple minute passive holds for any part of the body ever. And before we go into that, I'll say one more thing, which is I want us to think about in a modern yoga practitioner's practice. Most modern students have a couple different teachers that they practice with, mm-hmm. and they have a couple different styles. You know, even like one comparison that's really easy for me to make is I teach vinyasa yoga, and Stephanie Snyder teaches vinyasa yoga. We teach at the same studio. We teach pretty different approaches to it, but we share a lot of students because Stephanie is technical, but I'm even more technical. I'm fluid, Stephanie's even more fluid. So people are coming to me and they're coming to Stephanie because we complement each other and we kind of, we scratch different itches, if you will. Mm -hmm. And yet we're enough on the same page that we benefit each other's student without kind of canceling the information out, right? So I want to say that with regards to yin. And I would say it with regards to yin. I'd say it with regards to ashtanga. I'd say it with regards to Bikram. I'd say it with regards to the style of vinyasa I teach, which is... It is a very specific process that may or may not be helpful for certain people given the big picture of that person's life. So where I find yin is probably most advantageous would be for someone that has a ton of physical activity that is already existing within their life especially a ton of physical activity that is overtly strengthening, concentrically strengthening the posterior side of their body. So kind of a first body type that might come up to me would be like a surfer or a swimmer Mm -hmm. because they're already doing things that yin has plenty of things that lengthen the anterior side and the rotational elements. But if you look at it, it mostly tends to deviate towards stretching of the backside and the lateral side of the body, right? And so if you have someone who is many days a week doing some physical activity at a serious, it can be, it doesn't have to be an elite level, but it has to be like a serious committed level where they're concentrically strengthening and therefore chronically shortening the muscles of their entire posterior chain. I think that even not yin, but like a passive longer hold stretching process would, I'd say, maybe beneficial to that body mm-hmm. type. Or or like a cyclist, someone who's yeah. tightening the front yeah. of the body as well. Yeah. We're going to get to what I think is a much better process than passive stretching anyways. Okay. Okay. But first, just saying like long duration passive stretching is a specific tool that is probably going to help certain body types. Not a tight body type, but a body type that is tight from over-contraction okay. of the posterior chain. Okay. And if, you're t- if your back body is tight because you sit in chairs all day long, that is not the body type Why do that you, you want to stretch. Why do you keep referring to the posterior chain? Okay, because we have to factor everything in. And what we have to factor in are people's physical daily habits in a modern life. And the reality is that most people in a, in a daily life in modern culture – sit for long periods. Right. And so their front body is a little shorter and tight. The back body is a little longer and tight. Okay. So we have chronic weakness issues in the backside of a modern body. Okay. Scapular weakness, paraspinal weakness, multifidi weakness, thoracolumbar weakness, gluteal weakness, Mm -hmm. external rotator weakness, hamstring weakness. Okay. I'm not saying that those things don't feel tight. But those things tend to be chronically weak unless you are doing a specific type of training that is shortening those all of the time. So you can kind of step back and say like, oh, if my backside feels like kind of tight and stiff, is it because it's super strong 
and tight or is it weak and tight? And I would say that it's difficult to imagine that your back body is strong and tight if you are not doing things like swimming, surfing, specific types of I guess I'm workout just, I guess I'm just wondering why you're talking about the back body and not also the front body. The, because the front body and the back body have really different demands on it. But and like if you're a cyclist, you would your front body would be really yes. Different. So a cyclist, is, okay. a cyclist is okay. is a situation. Okay, right. But if we just talk about modern bodies, right, the back body tends to be even tighter and weaker than the front body. Okay, front body tends to be a little tighter and stronger. The back body tends to be a little tighter and weaker. This is important. The big point here is if you are doing things in your yoga practice where you feel like, oh man, my hamstrings are tight, my hips are tight, my back's tight, my shoulder blades are tight, my neck is tight. If you are doing those things and experiencing tightness in those regions, and that is because five or six days a week, you are doing very specific muscular strengthening of those regions, then yes. Okay. That stuff is probably tight and strong. If that stuff is tight and you are not doing sport specific things to strengthen those, those things are probably tight and weak. And the reason that this is so important is we know from the world of science, right? So this isn't a, I don't know if I believe Jason, this is, do we believe science, right? Which is a real question that we have to ask a lot of modern yogis. Well, do you actually believe science? Okay. Which is, we don't want to stretch muscles that are weak, okay? So this becomes, we don't want to passively stretch muscles that are weak. And this becomes the sort of the bigger process concern that I have with yin yoga or any unsupported style of yoga where you are having really two minute plus, actually the measurement is more 60 second plus hmm. passive stretches of the back body. Here, so here's a couple of reasons why. Two reasons, okay? So there is, and people can research this, meta-analysis that goes back decades on sports performance studies looking at strength of muscle tissue that have been stretched for 60 seconds or more. And when you stretch muscles for 60 seconds or more, you have a decrease in their strength. Hmm. They become weaker. So when you stretch muscles, those muscles become weaker. That is if you passively stretch them. I'm going to give a solution to this, right? But if you, pa if you passively stretch muscles for more than 60 seconds, it is measured that those muscles become weaker. So that's where I'm saying is if you are doing things that are regularly strengthening those and they've become short and tight and you want to offset that tightness that comes from your strength training, then stretching them passively may make sense for you unless you actually are an athlete, in which case you probably don't want to do that because you don't want to give up any sports performance, hmm. right? So if you were a high-level gymnast, you wouldn't do that. Hmm. Or if you, were, if you were a competitive athlete in any way, you wouldn't passively stretch muscle groups for longer than 60 seconds if you had a, a good set of trainers because there's sports performance loss. But there may be injury prevention increase because if you have really strong and short muscles, really strong and tight muscles from specific training, then you might decide to balance that out a little bit with passive stretching. Right. Although there's better ways to do it than we'll talk about it. But if you already have weakness in muscle groups, you don't want to, stre to stretch them passively because it makes them weaker. Mm -hmm. We can talk about the, the, the chain reaction of what happens in that situation. But for a modern body type that isn't doing a bunch of young style practices, 
to just go do long-held passive stretching. It might be good and regulatory for the nervous system Mm. and for the mind, but it is measurably not good for the musculoskeletal system. And we're just talking about muscles. We're not even talking about the dysfunction and interruption of the ligamentous structure that this can produce. So the main reason that you've offered so far is that a stretch for longer than 60 seconds has been shown to weaken that particular muscle. Yes. A passive stretch. Did you say? Yeah, Yeah, sorry. So let's talk about the ligamentous system. Okay. So there's, there's one other reason we don't want to stretch weak muscles. So imagine you had like a complex neural network, like a really smart computer, and it was hooked up to some like loose fabric that wasn't very strong and held together. And you started to stretch that fabric. What do you think that complex neural network would tell that fabric? Stop stretching, right? Okay. Because the body is is a profoundly complex self-regulatory system. And all of the muscles, all the joints, everything works as one complex big picture, okay? So if you have weakness in that system and you stretch the thing that is weakest, what neurologically does your brain say? Stop. Yeah. And so what what can actually happen is that when you stretch weak muscles, your brain gives that region uh, signals to actually stiffen up. So if you continue to stretch weak muscles instead of strengthening weak muscles, it's likely that those weak muscles will actually get tighter over time, especially if there's an injury there. Because your neurological relay system is saying, hey, stop this. This is a vulnerable and weak area. If, on the other hand, you identify weak muscles and you strengthen them, then once they become stronger and there's more muscular balance within that entire system, then they actually become more receptive and more pliable to increased range of motion. Okay. Yes. Yeah. So ligaments. I'm just going to say this, there is no rational world in which anyone under any condition should be randomly trying to stretch ligaments. It is just literally the most unscientific, unsound, malinformed idea that we can possibly- So I used to hear a theory that as we get older, the ligaments- get shorter. Everything gets shorter. Right. Everything gets drier and less elastic. Exactly. Drier, less elastic. So the idea would be that a yin practice would bring them back to, you know, bring ligaments back to a more functional length. So this is presuming that when things shorten, they become dysfunctional and that's mm-hmm. not correct. So it's also presuming that somehow your ligaments are shortening, but other things are not shortening. So let's let's put it in proper context, okay? We do want to keep everything pliable. Do not get me wrong. We need to move, 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 move the body. That is not in doubt. And you don't want contracture of ligaments, which is going to usually happen in some disease state. Not in, this is another thing that's talked about randomly in, is about contracture of ligaments. So we don't want anything within the system to become immobile. We don't want anything in the system to become unstable. We don't want anything in the system to become so short that it becomes dysregulated. But we also don't want to specifically try to stretch ligaments. And here's why. So ligaments provide us a couple of functions. It's it's kind of the main thing we have to understand, which is ligaments, like I remember learning, like ligaments connect bones to bones. That doesn't really tell me any information. Okay. What we have to understand is ligaments provide proper guidance and limitation for joint structure. So what that means is your ligaments are, they're providing a couple functions. One of the functions is they are inhibiting the joint, every joint, they're inhibiting your joints 
from moving the wrong direction, and they're inhibiting the joints from moving the correct direction too much. Okay. Okay? So they define what that joint can do, and then they limit excess within a joint. So that's something to keep in mind. The other thing that uh, they do is they have a complex relay system within them. So they have sensors within them that provide your body with feedback, that that provide your body with spatial awareness. The ligaments are in an an incredibly non-elastic property. So this is where we start to get into the idea of, yes, we want the ligaments to be mobile, like contracture would happen if your body was casted for a period of time. And then you would work one-on-one with a physical therapist Mm -hmm. to regain range motion. But you wouldn't, in some random group situation, just decide like it was a good idea to be passive in the musculature so that you put more stress within the ligaments. So a ligament has the capacity to stretch its to its own native length an increase of 10%. At more than a 10% stretch, one of two things can happen in the ligament. It can tear. And when ligaments are teared beyond a very basic tear, they don't untear themselves. Hmm. Okay? So the second thing they can do is they can think about like a piece of plastic, like saran wrap, right? Not an ad. <laughs> cling film. for a Cling film for all the British listeners. I know. Yeah, I've yeah. never heard of it. So if you take cling film and you stretch it out, what happens? It loses its elastic property. It just gets bigger, right? Yeah. So when you stretch a ligament out, when you – beyond normal human function, like when you do something that is very – you have to – we have to remember like – Passively holding the body in a stressed position for a long period of time without engaging muscles to support that structure is an anomalous human behavior. So if you were to do that in order to try to stretch your ligaments, you have an incredibly narrow window. You have 10% margin of error, 10%, okay? So at that 10% increase, there's the possibility of ligament rupture. And there's also a possibility that those ligaments become a little bit more like cling film and they don't rupture, but they become overly elongated. And then what happens in that elongated state? Then what happens is three joint things. The joint becomes less stable. The joint becomes less stable, which is a which not is good. <laughs> not good. Yeah. Because then it can move in its desired direction too much. Yeah. And it can also move in undesired directions, right? And the first thing I think about is our knees, hip joints, lumbar spine, sacroiliac joint. So you're introducing the possibility of an excess motion in regions. And when you have excess motion in the region, you have much more complication than insufficient range of motion in the region because you have the introduction of joint, the possibility of the joint having less stability and that becomes a significant problem. So let's just think about the body as a building. Do you want to systematically go through and loosen the screws? No. No, you don't. It's there's literally, they're just, then this is a place where like, this just isn't a rational or scientific thing. And it's something that the entire sports medicine world and the vast majority of the physical therapy world is just like, I literally don't know how people can believe this is a good idea. One more thing, the sensors. So when those ligaments become overstretched, then guess what? Then they're not providing the same amount of biofeedback to the practitioner to tell the body where it is. So now what becomes the norm? The hypermobility becomes the norm. And what have we just opened the door to? A fast forward to osteoarthritis. Mm. You know, and again, this is where these things are measurable. And this is where... Well, and if you go back and listen to, you know, the podcast I did with Laura Burkhardt and the podcast I did with Jill Miller, who were both, quite frankly, really courageous to come forward and be really open about how overstretching has led to injury. Without a doubt. For them, there are a lot more people than that who haven't, who don't come forward, which is fine. Totally. But, and I'm just trying to say that, that we are at this point in the development of yoga in the West, at least, where we're seeing some of the downsides of 
multiple decades of of overstretching. I don't see people in yoga hurting themselves because they haven't gone far enough in a pose. Hmm. I don't see people in yoga hurting themselves because they are too stable. Mm-hmm. I don't see people in yoga hurting themselves because they have some hypo mobility. Yeah. I see people in that's where and that's where I'm saying like we have to look at the the context, right? If this were like power yoga or power lifting land, not yoga land, it might be a different conversation. Yeah. Because we have to look at the broad context, which is there's so many things in yoga that we're already doing to increase range of motion. Like it's so rooted in that the vast majority of our injuries in yoga are twofold. The repetitive stress injuries, which is a different conversation. Yeah. And repetitive stress injuries, that's more the conversation that I have to own up to as a vinyasa teacher. Mm -hmm. Right? Wrists, lower back, like all these things. That's another conversation. Stay focused. Right? But then we have the overstretch injuries. We have the instability injuries. And most of them are on the backside of the body. We have the overstretch injuries on the backside, and we have the impingement injuries on the front side. And those run together. Okay, I'm thinking of the listeners right now, and I'm thinking of two archetypes, two types of people. I'm thinking first of, and I don't, I mean, it could be a woman too, but what comes to mind for me is a tight guy. Yeah, more calm. Right, who has just started yoga, and he goes to class, and he feels kind of foolish sometimes because his arms are shaking in in side plank, even though he's really strong, but he's just not open enough yet. Yeah. Or he feels silly in a forward bend, like, which I think, you know, for years you've joked about your forward bends. Totally. And he finds out about yin and he starts doing yin and he starts opening up and he's Uh like, wow, this is amazing. Sure. Is yin suitable for that type of person? If that person is tight because they're doing something. Because they're strong. Yeah. Okay. Because they're they're doing specific protocols for strength. Is there a possibility that this, that yin could work for this person for- a month, two months, I don't know. three months, I, and I would then consider not if, be good? No, nah, I wouldn't take it that far. I think that's where I want to stay with sound logic and what I know from working with doctors of sports medicine fairly consistently. So I, I don't want to say there's a timetable. I want to say that that might be a really good element. That's kind of why I was bringing up Steph earlier. It's like that might be a really good complement to what else they do. Okay. Right? So again, yeah, if you were strong and tight, there's still a better way to become more mobile, which I'll talk about in a moment. But if you were strong and tight and stressed out and had a hard time being still, that would be a perfect practice for you to to do, I'm just going to say with some regularity. Okay. Yeah. How about- Without a doubt. Okay. And then another type of- archetypal sort of practitioner that I'm thinking of that I'm imagining is out there listening right now would be a woman who is, you know, enjoys her range of motion, doesn't feel like, oh, I need to get more open, but just simply enjoys the relaxing aspect of yin. I mean, I think I used to kind of be like this until I started to uh, have some sacroiliac pain, but, you know, who enjoys coming into what they call a yin butterfly, like a very open form of Baddha for five minutes. And it just feels really good. And they've been doing it for a long time. And they're like, I'm not injured yet. Great. I would say great. Okay. I would say great. Okay. The body type that you'd want to stay away from it would be the body type that is longer and weaker in muscles. Okay. More flexible. Okay. Like a more flexible student that is is not as strong. Right. And the body type that you're talking, which is kind of the body type that you were just talking about, I would say that I would do that practice in the proper context of doing other practices 
that more overtly built strength. strength. Right. Okay. Especially, th- especially as these, as everyone ages. Yeah. Okay. Right. Mm-hmm. And th- like, these are things that they have to be brought in context. And I also think like thought about this for a long time, like, which is let's not pretend that yin is not an extreme thing to do for the body. It's an extreme thing to do for it's the true. body. Yeah. When, if you are coming to my level two, three vinyasa class in the warm room, that's also an extreme thing. I'm not saying I do extreme things with the body all the time. Training in Brazilian jiu-jitsu is worse for my body than doing yin yoga. <laughs> but I know that. And you, and yeah. I know that. And it that. serves other purposes. And it serves other purposes, right? That's so, interesting. Right. So to me, it's like, it's not even like, I don't want to cast aspersions on anything. Because I know that what we need to be well is pretty complicated, but I don't want to not know that these things are kind of extreme things. Right. Because I don't want to be surprised. Like if I get my elbow broken in Brazilian jiu-jitsu, I can't move my neck. Like that's not going to come as a surprise. You better not have either of those. But you know what my point is? Like that's not a a surprise. I get it. I can't be like, oh my God, I didn't know this was going to happen. Like, are you kidding me? (laughs) Like- yeah. That's that someone is trying to make that happen for 30 minutes every class. Right. But that's what I'm saying is like we can't go into yin or bikram or ashtanga or, or whatever and think that this is just some kind of benign thing. Uh-huh. Like these are strong things. And so if you want to do something that is strong and intense because of the leveraged passivity you have to know that there are that there may be some upsides to that, but let's not pretend that there are not some really significant overstretch impact injuries that can come from that. And if you just love that five minute in butterfly, fine. Then I hope that you spend ten minutes every every other day doing clamshells with a resistance band. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, yeah, because just treat doing that one extreme without a balanced counterpart is not a great idea. Okay. I also want to say just one more thing, which is I actually want to say a couple more things. But one of the more things about this is, I think it can be helpful to see where these things come from. And there's been a lot of really wonderful people that have shaped the narrative of Yin Yoga, but we want to see where it where it actually comes from, which is poly zinc. And Pauli Zink is a Taoist martial artist. The vast majority of his martial arts experience is in a couple different styles of Kung Fu. And they're all non-combative styles of Kung Fu. So really what they are is they're performance arts. And so the, the main performance art, Kung Fu style that Pauli Zink does, and people can Google and look it up. It's, I mean, it's interesting to actually see where this comes from, is a type of Kung Fu where you pretend that you're a monkey and that you're in a fight with other monkeys. It's all performance art, Mm -hmm. right? He's won a bunch of competitions, right? And you kind of hear this like, oh, he won a martial arts competition. He won a performance art competition. Interesting. Okay. Okay. So if you step back and think about it in the context of of a performance art, then you want a little bit more extreme. Yeah, and like being a monkey. Exactly. You need like serious flexibility. And to... if you look, if you look in it, there's zero backbending actions. So if you if you look at the style. That he does. Yes. Okay, because Sarah did definitely. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. No, okay. no, if you look at, and there is in yin yoga, but if you right. look, if you look at the origin of things are important. Sure, right? sure, sure. Okay. So we want to actually see where does this come from? And if we spend time where it comes from, it comes from, it comes from a performance art of it's kind of extreme, really extreme and really quirky animal mimicry. Uh-huh. And then it's like, oh, that makes sense. Yeah. Oh, that makes sense. It makes sense that I would want this extreme range. You'd want to seem really elastic. Exactly. Yeah. And contorted. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Right. Here's where I just I want people to have a clarity around what they're doing and why they're doing it. Because if you think to yourself, I want to have just extreme elasticity, I'm willing to roll the dice with my ligamentous structure. Like I'm trying to get into Cirque du Soleil, man. Totally. Yeah, seriously. Yeah, you yeah. know, I, this is what I'm trying to do. And if you think that people that 
are in Cirque du Soleil don't have extreme physical things that they're going to have to deal with, right? Oh, for sure. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So so again, it's it's not to denigrate it or, or cast aspersions on it to say, look, this is an extreme thing. Let's not pretend it's not. And then if it's going to be done, do it with eyes wide open. And then maybe say to yourself, oh my God, I actually love this so much. I love this passive stretching so much that it's also going to inspire me to do other methodologies where I'm making sure that I'm strengthening that stuff a lot. Mm -hmm. You know, I actually feel for me, like, because I still really like to stretch stuff, that's part of the reason I do more overt strengthening now that I'm in my mid forties, mm -hmm. because I still love to do some passive stretching. So in order to maintain structural integrity and function, in order to do that really passive stuff, then I also have the responsibility of doing the, the other side of things, right? Yep. So I think that's one thing. But I don't want to finish without saying, we have a really simple solution to all this. Okay. Tell me. Which is just engage the muscles that you're stretching a little bit while you're stretching them almost all the time. This is called eccentric loading or eccentric strength. It is measurably, it is the single most important type of strength for injury management. And it doesn't decrease your range of motion. It increases your range of motion. Let's say you're in a some sort of forward bend and you're stretching your, mostly stretching your hamstrings. Instead of passively stretching the hamstrings, once you get the hamstrings to their full stretch, just slightly engage them by pressing the heel bones down into the floor. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's many more techniques along this, but I've been talking about it like this. Instead of having disengagement at length, create a little bit of strength at length. This is a, actually another huge thing within the modern yoga movement is this understanding that passive range of motion is just not functionally that beneficial for the body, mm -hmm. but active range of motion is. Meaning just being passive yeah. in a stretched out position does not really benefit us very much unless we are working to lengthen something that has become dysfunctionally tight. Mm -hmm. But if it hasn't become dysfunctionally tight, we're just tighter than our neighbor in Pachimottanasana, mm -hmm. then instead of letting those muscles stay passive, you lengthen them and then ever so slightly contract them. Can you do this with longer holds too? You, yeah, there's no reason to do it for longer holds. Okay. But, but, I'm just thinking of people who like but the to answer is yes. Yeah, and... it's called Iyengar yoga. I know, I was actually thinking that. You know what I mean? Time. That's the other thing. It's like <laughs> Iyengar yoga, we used to do in the really in long the holds of things 10 minute holds and everything. Yeah. Ugh. I used Torture. to do it with Ramadan all the time. First 10 minutes of class was Virasana, 10 minutes. I know. Second 10 minutes, Upavishta Konasana. Third 10 minutes, Bada Konasana. I used to feel like I, and I probably could have fully triggered it. I used to feel like I had fibromyalgia after I would do yeah, like weeks yeah, of Iyengar yeah, class. Yeah. Long holds are not good for everyone, no matter if you are contracting or not. Agreed. Yeah. Agreed. Is there a psycho-emotional, mental, spiritual value to of it? Course. Maybe. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So that's again where we want to make sure that there is some yoga component to this. There is. But again, we don't want to pretend that this is physically in most bodies' best interest as a primary modality. Yeah, interesting. It's just not. Mm -hmm. And I would say the same thing. I'd say you need a, a specific body type and life circumstance to make this your primary thing. I would also say that there's plenty of people that aren't going to, like, I wouldn't put them in my class. I wouldn't put someone in my class that has a repetitive stress injury in their wrist or their elbow or their shoulder. Don't do vinyasa yoga. Yeah. If you currently have an acute repetitive stress injury in your upper extremities, are you crazy? Yeah, yeah. I wouldn't go to Bikram yoga if you have hypertension. Hmm. You know what I mean? Right, like right. I'm not Just be, be reasonable. So yeah, yourself. again, so this is where like I want to make sure this isn't like anti-yin or yeah, anti-this yeah. or that. Yeah. It's Let's actually step back from the mechanisms and try to parse out what is known if we talk to people outside of the yoga box. 
And we really have to talk to people outside of the yoga box in order to, to understand this stuff. So again, anytime you're stretching any part of the body, I shouldn't say anytime. I, I like to say go to or default mode. Like the default mode of when you're lengthening things, just slightly engage those things. When you slightly engage those things, you are going to get the same gain in terms of increased range of motion as you would as if they're passive. You're not going to go not as far. You're going to go just as far. You'll be just as flexible. But when you engage the stuff that's lengthening at least a little bit, you're also creating a more loaded or eccentric strength. And when you create this loaded or eccentric strength, you are going to offload some of the demands from the tendons and ligaments. I said earlier that there's only about a 10% degree of elasticity in ligaments, the 200% in muscles. Hmm. Okay. So you have so much more margin for error when you're actually using the muscles a little bit that are being stretched. The other thing that that's going to do is that's going to help you build simultaneous strength with your flexibility. And if you just think about it one more time, like and if you just think about a system, it makes no sense to spread that system out and to expose it to in a set of stressors without it having its own native ingredients at play to be stable in that stretched out position. Was that you? You lost me. Okay. Think about a body all stretched out. Okay. Think about a body in Upavishta Konasana. Okay. When you are in Upavishta Konasana, your body, because of the position and the gravitational load, your body is under a lot of mechanical stress. Okay. So it makes no sense when something is under mechanical stress to remove the parts of that equation that help the body withstand those mechanical stressors. Okay. Meaning the muscles. Yeah. Okay. You take out the thing that has evolved literally over millions of years to withstand mechanical stresses and hold the system together. It defies basic logic. Got it. Can I throw one more thing in? Sure. People are going to want to talk about fascia. Okay. Only thing that we want to remember right now is that even though fascia is kind of the topic of the day or the last couple of years, we don't want to start to think about fascia as separate and distinct from that which it binds. So we've talked a lot about muscles, but we could have just as easily been talking about myofascia. I don't think that in a yoga context, maybe in manual therapy, but I don't think in a yoga context, we want to start to think about muscles and fascia as separate things. Fascia should give us greater coloring and clarity and depth and interest and layers to our conversation about muscles, but we should not start to talk about fascia as separate from muscles. That's not how it works. I'm with you. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. This is good. I knew most of your viewpoints about this, but it's still interesting to hear. Um, Science's viewpoints. Yeah. Yeah. I think my last appeal is going to be like, for everyone out there that's listening in whatever state, internal state you happen to be right now, when you're looking at what style of yoga you resonate with or you're drawn towards... Look at how it fits into the broader picture of your psycho-emotional and physical life. And if you want to do something like yin that is going to be extremely demanding on some elements of your body, even though you're not trying, you're not efforting in it, if you really resonate and love that, then embrace it. But maybe also step back and say, because I want to do this one thing that's extreme, if I just keep doing that, then there, then I may be introducing myself to a whole new world of physical issues that I didn't see coming. So let me also do a little bit of the opposite. If I love this passive stretchy stuff, then do more resistance 
right, right, strength right. training, right, or slow flow vinyasa, right, other things that are rounding out your life. And if you're wondering, like, why are my hamstrings so tight? Is it because they're strong? Well, if you aren't specifically doing things to strengthen your hamstrings, they're probably tight and weak, mm-hmm. which means a modality that is making them more flexible but not also stronger is not going to help improve the quality of your life. Not balancing. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, great. Thank you for being willing to um, lay it all out there. And and if anyone has any complaints, just email United Jason at United Cares outcome. My <laughs> United Customer Service. United Customer Services. My is. Um, They're taking care of all the. Yeah, all United the- Customer Services taking care of all the yoga land. All the yoga land complaints. Okay, I like that. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. They, they brought them on board last week. <laughs> they're doing. We hear they're doing a great job. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> They'll give you, I'm sure they'll give you a a meal voucher or something. (laughs) All right. Thanks, Jay. Yoga land, yoga land angry in the subject line. (laughs) Yoga land angry. Oh my goodness. I just want to stretch. Yoga land angry. (laughs) Okay. Thanks, Hutton. You're welcome. Okay, before I sign off, I just want to throw out a few dates for studying with Jason. He's going to be in Austin, Texas at Yoga Yoga, April 26th through the 28th. He will be at Nest Yoga in Oakland, California, May 3rd. And then he's doing his San Francisco 300-hour training at Love Story Yoga. He's got Module 2 coming up May 6th through the 18th and Module 3 this summer, also at Love Story in San Francisco, July 14th through the 26th. And he has a few spots left in Hong Kong this summer. This is also Module 3, June 7th through the 19th. You can find details on our schedule page, jasonyoga.com schedule, and you can click through on any of those events and get more details. Season two of the podcast will begin May 7th, so we just have a few weeks off, and then I'll be back in action. I already have a great lineup of guests. Robin Capo Bianco is coming back on the show. Marshawn Feltis will be on the show, and Lara Benusis among many others. So I'm looking forward to that. If you want to keep up with me, you can follow me on Instagram at Andrea Ferretti. And I announced there yesterday that in May, I'm going to do the meditation and self-care course again. So if you missed it the first time around, there will be another opportunity and I will let you know on Instagram when that exact date is happening. Okay, everyone. Hope you enjoyed season one. And until next season, keep enjoying your practice. Also, go back and listen to some back episodes if you if you miss the podcast. I would love that. Mm-hmm.